Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design with a little bit of zest. This is a live episode on Twitch with the audio posted in your podcatcher of choice after the fact. We've got Swix on, otherwise known as Sean, to talk about part-time content creation. What's up, everyone? My name is James Hewick, and I'm a staff developer advocate at PlanetScale. Hello, my name is Amy Dutton, and I'm the director of design at Zeal. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. We are happy to have two amazing sponsors in Daily.dev and Hashnode. So Daily.dev will help you stay up to date with all of the latest and greatest tech news. So you can go to Daily.dev and there's a link right there on the homepage to install their extension into your browser of choice. So I believe James and I both have this installed within Chrome, helps us stay up to date. And then Hashnode is a blog setup. And one of the things that I think is so cool about Hashnode is even though you are posting your blog posts on Hashnode, you can also use a custom domain and you can cross post. So I believe James has it set up on his blog where he will post it on his blog and then it will automatically show up on Hashnode. So super excited about both of these sponsors. Special thanks to daily.dev and Hashnode. And I don't want to transition too early, but since we're talking about Hashnode and really creating content, it's a perfect segue into today's episode with Swix, where we're talking about being a part-time content creator. So welcome (laughs) to the stream. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. That was a great segue. (laughs) (laughs) We Uh, we make jokes about this behind the scenes and they're usually very bad, but I will say, Amy, that was done very well. Nice. nice Well, it was a little bit more natural than our animation episode (laughs) where I was like, this is my animated life. And now we're talking about animation. (laughs) So we're making improvements. Well, Sean, do you want to tell people a little bit about you and your background to kind of lead us into this conversation around part-time content creation? Yeah, sure. Hey, everyone. I am Sean, head of developer experience at Temporal. But also on the side, I do a bunch of part-time creation stuff. I am a writer. That is how a lot of people get to know me first. And partially that is blogging, but also I have a book that I published two years ago called The Coding Career Handbook. And it is basically my blog plus plus. So (laughs) I think everything comes down to writing because also my speaking career A lot of the inbound opportunities that I get are just based on, hey, I read a nice blog post from you. Would you like to do a talk version of it? And I think it's really been one of the more rewarding parts of, I think maybe you could treat it as a hobby. You treat it as personal professional development on the side, whatever it is, uh, it's been very rewarding to do. And I, I like to encourage people to do it. So I also published another piece called the Part Time Creator Manifesto, which I think James saw. And that's why I'm here today. Yeah, seeing like reasons to bring you on the podcast are numerous, (laughs) I think. Uh, Plenty of reasons why. I'm kind of curious, like for me personally, I mean, Amy and I have talked about this a lot. There's tons of different content that you can create. You can do podcasts and you can do written blogs and ebooks and YouTube videos and courses. There's so many things. Why writing for you? That's been like, I think my biggest weakness. Writing out of the different Mm -hmm. forms of content is the most difficult for me, just kind of mentally and like working through it. Why writing? Is that something that just kind of naturally clicks with you more than other forms of content? Actually, so I didn't really choose it. It kind of chose me <laughs> uh, in, a, in a form of, okay, so the the origin story, and this uh, th- this is funny because uh, the sponsors today are Hashnode and Daily Dev, and I'm, I'm going to mention a competitor, which is the Practical Dev, Dev.2. The reason I started blogging was because of Practical Dev. They held some kind of conference thing in New York City, and I happened to show up. At the time, I was just like very hungry for tech community and just like meeting people and trying to increase my network. Which, and over there, which they conference had, was that, by the way? Is that Codeland? I have no... No, this is before Codeland existed. Yeah, I don't know, but it was held at Galvanize in New York City. And it was a really nice, it had a lot of topics. It was a really nice conference. I don't even know what it's called now. I should probably go check because that was the start of my blog on Dev2. And they had this thing where they were like, okay, attend a bunch of talks. And then for every talk, do like a 30 second summary of that talk. And I was like, okay, I mean, that sounds easy and i did it and it actually got like a little bit of traction like it wasn't huge but it already got me started on like okay you don't have to write to try to be some kind of thought leader you can just write to take notes 
what a concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, if no one reads it, you can read it, right? And you can just sort of refer back to it. And I did. And I thought it was very useful. And I just kept doing it. And, you know, here we are like six, seven years later, and I'm still doing it. And I think it's just a very humbling thing if your notes happen to be useful to others. So for example, when I was learning React and TypeScript, I just started putting up my notes on React and TypeScript. And that became the React TypeScript cheat sheet that has now over 20,000 stars. And I've taught people from like Microsoft and Uber and Airbnb TypeScript, which is insane because I have never met them, but (laughs) they have benefited from my notes and that's good. And then from there, you go from notes to opinions, right? Like Because well, there, you should have a, you should try to develop a thesis and a view of the world. And when you share that and it's interesting to people, they'll discuss it and share it. And I think that's really good. The thing I like about writing, you know, it's going to tie back to your question is that it is very scalable. It SEOs well, you know, compared to video and podcasts and stuff like that. The people on Hacker News are very predisposed to writing as opposed to other forms of media. Although I do see more and more YouTube doing well in Hacker News and. I think like people like to scan, like there's just no good way to scan a video to find the points. Whereas I can just go, you can kind of add visual structure to your thing and you can kind of scan like, okay, there's like five headers here. I like the third header. I'm just going to start reading from there. It's just very repurposable and cheap to edit and update. So I like that medium a lot, but I don't prescribe it to everyone. I think, you know, what you're doing on YouTube is amazing. I wish I had that capability because I spend a lot of time on YouTube and I think the YouTube audience is about seven to eight times bigger than Twitter for developers. And it's a huge audience. So I'm looking to grow on, on YouTube. Yep. I'll give like one quick pushback and then I'll jump to you, Amy, on like you said, I wish I was capable of or some variation of that, of what I do on YouTube. And that's one of the things that I try to encourage people to like change is like, I look up to you for content creation so much. And like, you're very more than capable of doing what I do, but that hasn't been your priority, right? Like, I think that's part of the conversation I want to get into of switching. What are you looking to do more of and branch out in? But you're more than capable of yeah. doing that if that became like your priority. And I think that's, that's the same message I encourage it, other people yeah. of like, that's true. You can, it's just a priority in time thing. That's true. Yeah, I think you figured out a good mix. I think there are a lot of people. So, you know, I have spent just in this is like really sort of behind the scenes for content creation. I always think about time spent creating versus time spent consuming, right? For readers, you want a ratio to be high. For creators, you want a ratio to be low. (laughs) Which for you, like you've managed to get it down really low. But like some people, let's just say, you know, the professional YouTubers, they would have like a 60 to 1 or 100 to 1 compression ratio. Whereas if you stream, you're 1 to 1. Maybe not one to one, maybe you have a bit of prep time. So it's 1.5 or 2.2 to one. But like, that's kind of how I think about it. And I, I'm trying to think about like, what's the right target compression ratio for me? And what can I do with that ability? Right now, I have a almost one to one, maybe like a 1.25, where they'll do public calls with founders that are interested in my thoughts. And if they agree to share it on my YouTube, I'll post it up on YouTube with no editing whatsoever. So people who like it can get it. And otherwise, like, I'm not going to bend over backwards for them. So. Amy, that's a bit of the behind the scenes. Sorry, Amy, go go ahead. No, I love that. (laughs) This was not my original point, but it's this idea though that everything is content, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're sharing these phone calls and James and I have even talked about a lot of times our preamble before the podcast may even be more valuable than our podcast content itself because then people hear, oh, this is the types Mm. of things that senior level people are talking about. This is the way that we think about the world as you were talking about. The length of the microphone attachments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was behind the scenes before. I don't know if we were it won't be in the final podcast, but yeah, Amy. Well, there's so many tips that come out of that, right? Like Amy, we're comparing our microphones on video, and Amy's like, I've got this little extender. And in my head, I'm like, my thing never comes out quite far enough from the edge of my desk to the middle. And yeah, I could use like helps. another couple of inches. See, this is senior level discussion. Yeah. <laughs> this is what a senior level developer looks like. Oh, man. No, the original point I was going to make, just to bring it back, was I love the idea of sharing your notes first because I feel like so many times there's this barrier to entry of either nobody cares what I have to say or mm-hmm. what if I post the wrong thing. But if you're sharing your notes, to me, that's, I mean, I have notes all over my desk that's chicken scratch. But if people can find value in that, like, why not share it? Or not even them. If I find value in the, my future self finds value in it, why not share it? Yeah, I think that's also some, something that's key for part-time creators. Like you got to make it work with your day job, right? Like, so the TLDR of like the part-time creator manifesto is that a lot of people are full-time content creators and they get kind of stuck in this 
I call it like a strange loop of everyone doing creation about like, here's the intro to something. And then here's how to be a creator. And then here's how to grow on YouTube and how to grow on Twitter. Like you get very stuck in this generic loop that everyone gets in because you don't have a day job to feed you with more interesting topics than that. Like it's all, it all starts to get meta very, very quickly. So I think part-time creators actually have a interesting edge where they can use what they do on the day job as sort of grist for their mill and maybe share tricks or think about problems and try to invent solutions or just at least talk about them. Just, just talk. Like you don't have to even solve it. You can just say like, Hey, are you guys seeing this? Cause I'm seeing this in my day job. And then other people will chime in. They're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we see a lot of it. And I think you maybe build community. You maybe get people that you might be interested to work with. I think there's a lot of positive upside that comes out of that. And for me as an employee, I think also if you can start making money with a part-time creation, that actually gives you a certain level of independence because you start knowing your worth. My book has sold $150,000 just like off with the booking community. And like now I know I can make 100K in a year on the side. And so why would I ever take a job that's less than that? Right. So like that's... Knowing your worth is game changing. Like once you sort of set that bar for yourself, which by the way, let's just like react or celebrate. Actually, I'll do this here. I've got a little bit of sound effects. Let's just celebrate like how big, how big of a success that book launch is from, from a content creator's perspective. Like that, those are the stories that are like, damn, that's like, that's really, really cool. So that's worth pausing and celebrating. But it is incredibly value for so many reasons in so many ways to learn your value and continue to be able to advocate for yourself. You can use that to negotiate for a job. You can use that potentially to potentially know that like I could do this on my own and I could still earn a significant yeah. amount of money and and all that. But I think one of the benefits that we've all kind of talked about is making money now is just on top of what is probably a good salary. And that's a pretty nice place to be too, to have the stability of a full-time job have a good salary, and then also have the freedom outside of that and the time or some time and ability to generate extra income on top of it. Yeah. Uh, just to answer, Paul in the chat has a question of, do you set up a business entity? Yes. I think that's a really good idea, especially if you're not going to spend the money right away. You shouldn't be taking it in your personal income tax, but that's starts to get into tax advice, but <laughs> you might as well stick it into a corporate entity where you can uh, net off some expenses for your next thing. And that's also another thing that's useful, right? Like there's very much a Matthew principle. Is it Matthew principle of the rich get richer, right? The people who have more resources uh, get more. And what earning money for your side project does for you is that it lets you buy time to make more stuff to spend. So I haven't maximized that as much as I should. I really have been thinking about getting a VA and and stuff like that, but it's all me just now. But I think that, you know, once you start thinking about things as business expenses, then you start being a lot less reticent to spend because like the really restricting factor is your time. So I think that's important. But yeah, I I don't want to get too far down the money discussion. I think that a lot of people, maybe they're not, they don't even have like, like a consistent creation habit. And that's more important to do for a few years before you start even talking about the money stuff. So do you want to use that as a way to pivot? This is a conversation that we had. Like how, where does consistency come from for you? Where did it come? And then what are some of the struggles with consistency that you've seen? I still struggle. Yeah, I still struggle today. I mean, I'm sure both of you struggle as well. It seems like from what I hear, Amy is like the the one that keeps you on track, James. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, that was our original agreement. I was like... She yeah. was like, do you want to do a podcast? And I was like, I have no time to do a podcast. And then she said, <laughs> yes, me you this, do. She sent me this pitch and I was like, that's freaking amazing. And I was like, okay, but I just, I wish I could commit to more, but I can't. So she does so much to keep everything on track. And then we also have Ashley who's doing social media editing and things mm-hmm. like that behind the scenes too. So that is game changing right? having yeah. someone else involved as well. The other yep. piece is committing in public. So like our advent stuff that we did in December, that wouldn't have happened except for the fact that we've talked about it for months on the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no backing down. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, look, like not everyone has the, has the personal time or the, you know, bandwidth, like, you know, to do part-time creation, but it's just one part of your output that is maybe publicly visible. You know, I've met people who like worked in a bank or worked in the government and they come out of, of that employment for whatever reason, they've got kind of nothing to show for it apart from a few lines on their, on their resume, it's kind of sad. Like, it's not their fault, but like, 
you know, if you are able to maintain a side project on this on the side, then I can see something that's attributable directly to you, and I can see that you can stick to it. And I think you know, people stress the importance of grit. I think that's a lot of what it takes to learn, like to have consistent personal growth. Uh, those are very important things. So it's like money is almost like the you know the least important st- stuff about this. Like it's like personal determination and like, self-expression. And I also think about it in terms of like networking. Like so, in a way of your putting out things that you're interested in, of course, because why would you spend your free time doing anything else? (laughs) But people who are interested in the same things will start connecting with you. And as long as there's anything vaguely professional about it, they'll probably want to work with you for that. So it's a really good way to turn your interest into your your full-time job. Or like, may not be a full-time job, maybe a gig, maybe like a speaking role that's like a one-off. But like, even then, that's an opportunity that would have come your way that you wouldn't have before. So I, I really like those kinds of things. For me, like I made a resolution maybe in 2018 to 2020 to write a blog post a week. And I thought that was a nice cadence, like daily is too much, you know, monthly is too slow to make a week. A week sounds about good. And you can bunch it up if you have something big. So, you know, if you have like a big project coming on, like there was one week where I got the approval to do a project for the Free Code Camp YouTube. So I took four weeks to do one video on that. But that's a YouTube channel with 2 million subscribers. So mm-hmm. you should put a bit more effort into that. So I think like that kind of thing, I think is really important. And just having that consistency of, and not beating yourself up when you get, when you fall off the horse, you know, like, ah, you know, it's kind of like, what's that saying? Like New Year's resolutions end on like January 12th or 13th. Yeah. 20th. Yeah. Right. And then you're like, you know, you don't write off the rest of the year because you fell off the horse one day. I think you just get get right back on it and understand that everyone does that. So I think that's kind of, my approach to consistency, which is like, accept that you're going to be inconsistent and just, you know, forgive yourself and get right back on it. Yeah. I think one of my biggest tips for people and something that is kind of inherently part of my personality is lowering the barrier to entry with content. And what that means for me is like, if you look at my videos, it's not super edited. Like I don't have, I, I don't know how to phrase this. I am not the best final product video person by far of people that are kind of in my range of content creators on YouTube. I'm like fairly minimal. And I'm like, at some points I look and I'm like, I'm jealous of, Ooh, these transitions are really nice. These animations are really nice. That stuff is really, really nice. Amy is one of those people, but because I've lowered the barrier to entry for that content that enables me to be more consistent. So if you look at actually just in general, a little behind the scenes stuff, a lot of my videos that go out on a Tuesday were some portion of them, maybe not a lot. Some portion of them are recorded edited and published that morning within an hour. And it's the cool thing is going back to like the benefit of also having a full-time job and also just working on side projects is you can take these snippets that you already know, right? Like I've already, I've already done this thing. I already know this. I already know how to structure this code for this thing, whatever it is. Now I don't have to do any like research for the video. I just get on camera and talk about it. And so when I talk about like struggling with writing it's because my voice on camera is so much more natural to me it comes so easy or so much easier that i can get up in the morning i can record i can do a couple of basic splices to remove dead silence or when i mess up or whatever and publish and i think that's the number one thing for me of keeping consistency is just lowering that barrier to entry and i think the highlight of stuff you talked about is like these you don't have to be writing game-changing articles just write notes and some of the like if i'm searching for how do i do this specific thing a lot of times i don't want any extra background or details like just show me the thing and these i've seen <laughs> articles that are three paragraphs and it's exactly what i want so that's that is what you don't way. you don't want my life story <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i do if the article is my life story and why you should care but otherwise my, i just want to know how to my do grandmother's the recipe was passed down <laughs> yes. through generations <laughs> Henry Henry sent me a meme the other day that was like talking about these blog recipe sites where it's like, I was walking through the field the other day. (laughs) You know, people put effort in writing that. (laughs) I know. know. And then you were like, I don't want any of it. (laughs) Well, I usually just scan down to the end. Give me the recipe. How long is it going to take? What ingredients do I need? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And Pinterest ones are the worst. If we, here's my rant for the day. If you go on Pinterest (laughs) and then go, all the recipe sites look the exact same and they have pop-ups and they have ads and the recipes are all the way down at the bottom after these multitude of paragraphs. And immediately yeah. I'm just like scrolling and clicking out like the video pop-ups and stuff to just get get down to the recipe. And I guess that's what they think they have to do to take advantage of the traffic they're getting. I don't, I don't know. Um, I feel like that's debatable. But yeah, I spent a lot of my time scrolling through <laughs> that sort of stuff just to get to exactly <laughs> where I want to be. 
just go on Hacker News and search for like recipe extension. There's a few people who've made cr- browser extensions that kind of oh, just... Oh, to remove? To remove the stuff. Okay. They just detect a recipe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it. I think I actually think there's like a HTML tag for like a recipe or one of those like metadata oh, things. Oh, an open graph Oh, really? Tag. There is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Interesting. So that's how they do that. Um, it's also by the way, why it shows is... up in Google when you search yeah. for it. And it's like, oh, okay. these are the ingredients. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about daily.dev. First, I think we all recognize how hard it is to stay up to date with the latest and greatest within the tech community. But there are resources like daily.dev that provide a community-based feed of the best developer news, helping you stay current. Daily.dev aggregates hundreds of sources every few minutes and creates a personalized feed just for you according to your interests. So whether that's web dev, data science, or Elixir, anything you might be interested in, it has content for you. There is a web version of the product if you want to see exactly what the feed looks like. Otherwise, just go over to daily.dev and there's a link directly on the homepage to install their extension within your browser. From there, anytime you want to load a new tab, you'll see the news feed. James and I both have it installed and use it to stay current ourselves and so should you. So go check it out at daily.dev. Special thanks to daily.dev for being a compressed FM sponsor. One of the things I'm curious about is how much do you pay attention to growth? Like what, first of all, what does growth mean to you? How much do you pay uh-huh. attention to that? And how much does that influence the content that you create? Yeah, I publish my growth numbers actually. So if you look at my Twitter every month, actually I should do one for uh, March 31st. Mm-hmm. Every month I publish my blog, my Twitter and my YouTube and a bit of my podcast sometimes. The podcast is not something I'm actively trying to grow. I, I just kind of let people who know me find it. The blog, so growth looks to me like 100% a year. Uh, and I don't know whether that's good or bad. That's just what the traffic's been doing the past few years. And I think I'm currently at something on the order of 1.5 to 2 million views a year on the blog. Wow. So yeah, I don't. that's not something I consciously do. Because I view it as a trailing indicator. I think if you do the right things, those numbers will come. If you do the wrong things, those numbers won't matter anyway. So yeah, just how do you find good ideas to write about and how do you develop interesting perspectives? I think that is the meat of it. I think I really like this Warren Buffett quote. I think it's about football. So uh, apologies because I don't play football. I don't know anything about football. But he's like, games are not won by people who have their eyes on the scoreboard. Games are won by people who keep their eyes in the field. And I definitely keep my eye on the field. And we've got a question from, I'm going to do it now, Anthony Joseph Campolo, AJC. Hopefully I did that one hey. because I've been trying. He asked, what is the leading indicator? Would it be number of posts? And I think the answer is less about number of posts. It's more about consistency, yes. which influences that, but also about quality of the content. Is that what you would yes. say as well? Yeah, totally. Are you writing relevant stuff? Uh, are you honing in on some audience or thesis that is compelling? So there's always some tension between what you're personally interested in and what people want to hear from you. And those actually don't coincide very often. <laughs> and so you, you, you kind of have to figure out what that is and what's acceptable on your blog versus like some other forms of content. And it's good to have different outlets for different forms of self-expression. Right now, my, my blog is very uh, not very personal. It's a technical, strategic blog. I kind of lament that a little bit. I think that blogs should be more personal, you know, Maybe like 15, 20 years ago, people were talking about their day and how they felt and their views on the world. And uh, people don't do that anymore. Everything is just all for SEO or nothing. Or <laughs> And that's a little bit sad. But yeah, also, I have a list of blog ideas that I groom. It's actually public. Good luck that's finding awesome. it. It's, a, it's a basically, yeah, it's, I have a repo called Brain. It's my second brain. It's on GitHub. Uh, I sync all my ideas to that. Oh. And I just kind of groom that repo. I work on multiple drafts at the same time. So I call that... The pre-writing process, which I've also written about in my book. And I think that's probably the best leading indicator, like that your pipeline of possible ideas, right? And when idea is ready to convert into a, a full post, then, then I sit down and uh, find some time to do it. I like this idea. I really want to add like an upvote system on my site for ideas that I have. Mm-hmm. I think that would be like, uh, interactive for people and also help yeah. influence a little bit of like, what is going to be the most relevant? Yeah, I think it'd be hard to get like a lot of people engaged in it, but that could be a really cool idea. Yeah. Well, so I tried to do the voting thing. Actually, it is motivational in a sense of like, 
okay, I, I want to write something, but I don't like, there's five topics. Help me pick. And actually I think that's best for Twitter polls. So I, I did that and uh, it, it helped me get off at least three posts just from that. It's up to you. Uh, basically I'm a fan of like the mixed medium creation in, in terms of not everything has to live on your site. You want to be where people are and people are lazy. So yeah, you want to go on common watering grounds like your YouTube, like your Twitter. Like you, I think on YouTube, you can even do a poll, right? And it shows mm-hmm. up in people's YouTube feed. So you know, get creative with that. You know, like what should my next um, video be about? I think, I think giving people some part to play in that story, I think makes it fun. It makes them engaged. And the next time they see something that they voted for, they're going to watch it. This is going back to, you were talking about that intersection of the content you create versus the things that your audience wants to hear. Do you have a ratio? Like I know Sarah DG has talked about how she has a one for me, one for them, one for me, one for <laughs> oh, them. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know if it was yeah. the same for you or if it just is what it is. Uh, no, because I don't think I'm at her level. I think that's a very professional thing to do. It It is something that I do recommend people as well. So something like, so I, I've had a question posed to me before, you know, I have so many interests. How do I pick? You know, I have I have stuff to do for my day job, but then all the stuff I'm interested in is like not in my day job, and I kind of want to spend some time on that. So I would say like you know five for them, one for uh, one for yourself, you know something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Four for four for them, one for yourself, right? And I th- think that ratio makes sense. But in terms of content creation ratio, like I mean, as a part time creator, you don't have that much bandwidth. Like it should always be right. some mix of for you and for them. And you're gonna miss sometimes, and it's you're gonna accidentally end up for you just for yourself, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's a whole lot easier to create content for yourself, especially when you're getting started. If you're talking about the things that you're passionate about, that's naturally yeah. going to come out if you're creating a video and your intonation or podcast, you know, just the yeah. sound of your voice or even writing. You're, it's a lot easier to write more about the things that you care about. Yeah. I think like, so there's some, there's some, the typical message is for, you know, the, the typical content creator encouragement advice is like, just write for yourself. You know, there's a lot of people on the internet exactly like you and you go find you and you reach each other, blah, blah, blah. True. <laughs> but <laughs> also there is ways to make that more accessible to a general audience, like to make it more interesting to work in your titles, to uh, work on content uh, topic selection that improve your odds. Mine is still a continuation or a follow-up to both of those is to introduce the idea that like those are not necessarily two separate things, right? Like writing for me is not necessarily writing for you slash them slash just the community, right? Like, and you kind of touched on this with, or someone in the comment, I think it's Gooseman said, if I need to know this thing, there's at least one other person that needs to know it as well. So if you get into that documentation or like documenting your learning journey thing, that's still valuable for other people. Now it may not be the most optimized, but you can still take the stuff that you care about, tweak it a little bit and package it in a way. So it's like you mentioned, that other people are going to care a little bit more. I think one example that's been really great at this of these like almost like micro posts at times is Flavio Copes. So if you look for like a different topic, he's broken down like if express for node servers, like here's how you do body parsing. Here's how you create a post endpoint, like broken down, like very finely into these different posts. So SEO wise, if you search for that thing, like I've come across his content so many times and it's stuff that like it's super small. It's short at time. He has longer ones, but a lot of them are super short. I imagine it's for him and his learning journey. Like as he learned it, he's like, I might as well go ahead and share this for other people. And I think he's been an inspiration for me of you don't have to build these big pieces. Just build stuff that's short and sweet. Build it for stuff that you just learned or you think other people should learn. And that's going to be valuable for both because that's a resource for him. And then externally, it's a resource for me because I've come across his content all the time. Yeah, totally. It's a long journey. It's an infinite game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also joke that, you know, after DigitalOcean bought Scotch.io and CSS Tricks, I think Flavio Copes is next. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I could see it. Um, shout out to both of those, by the way. I'm well, his problem is not being named Chris because, yeah, it's you got to be named Chris and then you make front end oh, education yeah. <laughs> and then, then DigitalOcean will and buy you, you. Yeah, so Flavio just needs to change his name to... Uh, to <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's funny. That was pretty like random kind of news. I was pretty surprised, I think, to read the CSS Tricks acquisition, but a uh, really pretty cool thing. So DigitalOcean is like taking overall content to mm-hmm. the next level if they keep swallowing everybody up. I was just going to say CSS Tricks, I got to the point where I would search for his... Site. Like I would include CSS tricks in yep. my Google search. I mean, it just 
in terms of documentation. Yeah. And he got started the same way that you did talking about, these are the things that I learned today at work. I'm going to blog about it. This is the properties that I implemented with SurveyMonkey. And that was his post. Yeah. Wufu, right? Or was it SurveyMonkey and then Wufu? Yeah, that's exactly right. It was Wufu and then SurveyMonkey. Yeah. I have studied his, like, Chris is a mentor to me. Like I've studied his story so much. The other fun fact was Nathan Barry, I think, wrote about Chris Coyer in a sense of like, hey, here's a guy who's like you know, coming up, like kind of my cohort, like we kind of peers now. But because Chris had a side project where he like jotted down his CSS tricks, people started, started to know him a lot more for CSS. Like they had the exact same skills, but because he published it in a specific domain and just kept working at it, and people started sending him stuff. He just got a lot better over 15 years of doing this. And I think it's pretty fascinating of like how that skill just like starts developing if you just set aside a, a project for it. It's pretty funny because I think like CSS Tricks like has been a side project the entire time mm-hmm. because he's had, he's always had a different job, but like it's caused like a side project with a side project, which is CodePen. And now that's full, his full-time job, right? Like that's an interesting evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, you know, not nothing less. And maybe this is a bit existential. (laughs) CSS Tricks has not been growing for the past three years. Mm -hmm. People don't really think about growth for like, they're like, it's an institution, whatever. Everyone Mm -hmm. refers to it. But as a, someone managing a business, CSS Tricks is a business. It wasn't growing. So like at some point you're like, okay, I'm out of ideas for this. And you want to let it go to someone else who, who can take it to the next level. I like the idea of, I think part of it is presenting yourself as the person or the thing you want to be known for. Like if, if you want to kind of gain some traction around CSS, like talk about CSS and talk about it consistently and talk about it in different places where developers are. And I had, I've been wanting to bring this up with someone that I thought it was something I heard on, I think a TikTok recently, the idea of networking. And I think like networking slash like building community. And I think this can relate to like the good parts of building an audience of like investing in the community. But anyway, they were talking about kind of networking in general. And they were like, instead of going to one restaurant for lunch once a month or so, go to the same restaurant 30, like every day for an entire month, 30 days in a row. And now by the time you go to that yep. restaurant, the waiter, the waitresses, they know you, the hostess, the host knows you, you may know the chef in the back. Now you kind of have your community around you in a restaurant, right? Like maybe it's not super relevant, but I think that's a good example of if you invest your time in the community that you want to be a part of and you want to grow in and around the topic that you want to be known-ish for, start to build some credibility around. It's like pretty basic advice of just like continue to do that consistently and talk about that thing. So when people see you or think about you or come across your profile or your website, they at least have that thing in the back of their head because they've seen that you've created 30 pieces of content on this thing or uh, a talk on this thing or whatever it is. Uh, but I thought it was really cool to just like emphasize the impact that that consistency um, and intentionality with consistency can have. Yeah, fully cool sign. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty interesting how much like, you know how people say like 90 something, 99% of podcasts don't go beyond like episode seven or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of sticking to it makes you stand out already. Like it's encouraging for creators, but also a little bit depressing that like more people don't stick to stuff, but mm-hmm. that's life. <laughs> it is. Um, on the other side of things, you know, I, I also do encourage like trying things out. And if it doesn't feel like it's working out, just abandon it. It's fine. You know, life is short. So maybe that's just how things work out. Great. Yeah. And it, I can't remember if we talked about this after we started recording, but this is 63 for us or something. And that's pretty hard to believe. And now that we're doing two a month, those numbers are... I guess mathematically growing twice as much as they had before. <laughs> it's technically 64, but we haven't recorded 63. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a little, a little behind the scene. We get lots of behind the scenes actions on uh, our recording yeah. process. What's interesting is um, Seth Godin talks about in the practice, how you don't get to choose what you're known for, which is an interesting yeah. play off of what you guys are talking about. His whole thing is you just show up. That's what you, your job is. But you can uh, influence you just, you just show up. Yeah, right. Right. You're yeah, not going to be known about kind of... design if you never, ever talk about, talk about design. Yeah. Yeah. But the consist- I think the consistency comes first. The showing up and yes. being there comes first. And then you can help to influence what people get from you by what you create. Right. Well, and I think to that point, it's probably more about what goes viral. What do people really latch yeah. on to? 
is the piece that you don't get to pick. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. I'll put this to you, Sean. Mm-hmm. Like for me, VS Code and JavaScript are the two topics on my channel that do the best VS Code. Yeah, people like, love the VS Code content for some mm-hmm. reason. Like, yeah, you think it's very commoditized. The VS Code team themselves do very good docs and videos. Mm-hmm. Like, what value is there to add? And mm-hmm. <laughs> but people love the VS Code content. Yeah, it blows up. And so those are things that I make sure to sprinkle in with my content, no matter how. It's still stuff that's interesting for me, but I, I prioritize to get some of that stuff in there for overall awareness. So like, what would you say your niche is? And did you envision that being your niche start or did that kind of develop based on the way people responded to your content? Oh, okay. That's interesting. So I have two niches. One is the career advice stuff, mostly because of the learning public essay. Mm-hmm. Um, that has itself, like every day I, I get pings from people who are finding it for the first time. So yeah. it's just like a self-sustaining thing. The second niche is more of like a tech strategy niche. And that's basically because I am a former hedge fund analyst and I like to treat companies as investments. And I like to think about the big picture of like, okay, there's all these chess pieces by all these different companies. Where are they going to go next? And, you know, what makes sense for them versus what are they actually doing? And, you know, what's a theory, right? So for example, one, one of my biggest pieces of the past, like, I don't know, three years is the third age of JavaScript, which is a thesis for the next 10 years of JavaScript. And it really resonated because people are feeling the change in the air of like basically every part of the JavaScript stack and putting a good name to that and putting together all the examples, I think just made sense for a lot of people. And I think like that's a strategic piece and then maybe an investment thesis as well. Like where do you want to spend your time? And for some people, yes, where do you want to work and where do you want to spend your money? I think those are just like some of my best stuff in terms of like, I enjoy doing it. Plus people really like hearing about it from me. So another piece that really did well on Hacker News was uh, a piece comparing AWS and Cloudflare and thinking about Cloudflare's overall strategy. And I had the chief strategy officer of Cloudflare reach out to me and he was like, this is good. (laughs) 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 And, and, you know, you know, you really, you know, hit the mark when like the people that you're writing about agree with you. I think It'd be interesting to do more of that. But at the same time, like I have no goal. Like I'm not trying to, I don't know, be some kind of thought leader on that space. I'm just like, hey, big companies making big moves is inherently interesting. Like, let's just talk about it. And I think uh, I definitely look up to Ben Thompson, who writes Stratechery, and he does that for like the fangs. And maybe I'm like a mini Ben Thompson. That'd be cool. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about Hashnode. So Hashnode makes it easy to start a blog in seconds on your own custom domain for free. It's fully optimized for developers and supports writing in Markdown, rich embeds, publishing from a GitHub repository, syntax highlighting, and edge caching with Next.js blogs deployed on Burstow. On top of this, your article gets instant readership from the growing community. James and I have talked before on the podcast about how valuable creating content is and how developing an online presence really does give you respect and credibility in the tech space. And really, there's no better way to do that than through Hashnode. So be sure to go to Hashnode.com and join the community. Special thanks to Hashnode for being a Compressed FM sponsor. There's a question in the chat from Builder Argus. What's an actionable plan for someone to get started in a sustainable part-time creation? Yeah. So I I talked about the five for them, one for you. And I really mean that in terms of when you study people who are part-time creators, but also good at it, like known for it, they don't spend like, I don't know, like 30 minutes every month. They actually do parts without significant time, but it's about fitting that time within their day. So the two patterns that I really like is spending two hours a day before work, and it has to be before work, because if you do it after work, you're very likely to put it off. Two hours a day before work on your side thing can be side business. Someone I think who's really good at that is Alex West, who runs some kind of outreach marketing service thing. Just look for Alex West Co. And he does two hours a day before work. And so that adds up to 10 hours. Basically, you want to go on the order of 10 hours. Like if you work for 40 hour a week, you want to do 10 hours on your side project, whatever that is. That seems high for a lot of people and probably is. But like, I, for people who want to make money, I think that is a, a realistic aspiration. If splitting it up causes too much context switching, you can bunch up the 10 hours into one day. So in other words, like you work your regular five-day week, but then on Saturdays, you do the 10-hour uh, thing or whatever, eight hours, whatever that is. Like you, you can sort of apportion it that way, but like that seems to be a nice split. And then you're not only working on that thing during that uh, allocated time. I always think that you should separate your creation time from your serendipity time. So like ideas happen to you 
in the shower, while you're on a walk, while you're doing something completely random, you should have a place to buffer those ideas. And I, for that, I call it the second brain, right? Like it, you're like, all right, I, I just have this piece of news that like, hey, it's relevant to the thing I'm working on. But like, you should have a system to store it so that you you don't rely just on your memory. And like, whenever the ideas come up, you just kind of stick it in there. But also pay attention, not just to the points that you want to make, but also the structure of how you're making it so that you're forming a coherent argument. I think those those are kind of what I think about when I do it. And I just want to say, like, I don't follow this procedure to the letter. There are things where I just have the inspiration on that day, I get it done, and I ship it, right? Like, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's, it's just a framework to get started with if you don't have one. What do you say to the people that, are like, I don't want to share stuff in public because I don't want my stuff to get stolen? <laughs> stolen? Why are you so important? <laughs> Why well, makes you so special? Like you want people to steal it because then yeah. people will mentally attribute it to you at least. Mm. And probably they, they won't be that mean. So I've had my stuff stolen all, all the time by like automated like blog reposting things. It's pretty funny. I keep a list of them. It's my domain block list. It actually is my domain like, you know, poop list, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and I mean, yeah, people will steal it. It's fine. Just like include like subtle links back to your domain so you build your seo that's a really good trick by the way and then also yeah whatever like as long as it's actually buildable to you it's really good to invent turns of phrase i have a list of future blog posts coming called like sort of high leverage forms of learning in public and one of them is naming giving a really good name to something that everyone starts using because then that becomes your thing right you coined the term even though like you (laughs) may not actually like be the best at it whatever it doesn't matter like you coined it and that does tend to count for something you do have to do some work like just naming the thing doesn't is insufficient but definitely if it starts spreading and becoming a meme then then you get a lot of accidental credibility just by having been first to name something i like that one of as we kind of look towards wrapping up we've got a couple of sections i don't know if we've done this with everyone but it's part of our form for coming onto the stream so there's two small sections one is a soapbox and so for your soapbox title you did creating luck which i am I think I'm very passionate about what you're going to say, but I want to hear your perspective on what does creating luck actually mean? What does creating luck mean? So, yeah, I think that title is meant to be a little bit, it's meant to cause a little bit of cognitive dissonance because luck just happens to you. What do you mean you can create it? And what it actually means, the full form of it is to increase your luck surface area so that you have more opportunities for luck to happen to you. So, there's a lot of it that's not within your control that's true, but what is within your control is your ability to capture and convert on the luck that does happen to you. And so that's a whole thesis. There's a whole essay based on an old Mark Andreessen tweet that actually is a rehash of an even older version of it from the 90s where people were exploring different kinds of luck. And so do you want me to go through the four forms? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the basic idea for a lot of people is how much agency do they have to the matter? So like a very primitive form of luck is some people are lucky and some people are not, right? Some people are born privileged, some people are not. Some people, I, I had a friend who is just like randomly, like very lucky at the things, everything that he does, like from like bowling to like playing computer games. And I'm like, this guy's just lucky. And like, who knows? That guy's just born lucky. I don't know. So that's a very passive form of luck, right? And if it really takes away any sense of agency towards you. So the second philosophy of luck is the luck surface area. That luck happens in sort of uniform distribution and it's spread out evenly. But people who do more things and tell more people about it disproportionately capture more luck surface area than others who don't. And so if like, no matter your starting point, maybe you started from a really good starting point and that's your privilege, or you started from a bad starting point, whatever it is, you can improve your current position by doing more and telling more people about it. Do more, tell more, do more, tell more. And it's kind of like your luck surface area is the, is the a multiple of that. Very famous blog post from someone on the Tech Zing podcast. Uh, this is going re- really into the deep cuts, but also look up Patrick McKenzie who talks a lot about it. Okay, so this is the second philosophy of luck. The third philosophy is the four types of luck. Uh, so this is like a four, four and four. And here you have the individual versus the general. So in other words, does this luck happen to everybody? Like if you pick up a lottery ticket and, and you win that lottery, that's a form of luck that can happen to everybody. But there's some forms of luck that only happen to you. And so for example, I think the 
canonical example of this is the discovery of penicillin, which was an accidental like mold, some random mold fell in a Petri dish. And the guy who was looking at it noticed that it actually killed off some bacteria or something. But he had to be primed to look at it. And the full story behind that, apparently, and I go into this on the blog post, like he had tried to do this nine years ago and, it, and he failed. And he's just randomly was like trying and he, and he failed, but, but like that enabled him nine years down the road to actually pick up on having a lucky break that fell through. And he was able to isolate penicillin from that mold that fell in there. That's super random and super specific. No one, like 99.9999% of the world looking at that dish, it would be like, yeah, it's a dish. Like, who cares? But you have to like prepare yourself to notice when luck happens to you, to notice when the $50 bill is lying on the ground and to pick it up because most people were just not. So like it's sort of in general versus individual luck. And then finally, the fourth model of luck is kind of my twist on it because all the preceding three models are things that predated me. But for me, I like to skate to where luck is more likely to happen. In other words, the, what's your strategy? So there's always like two parts of the game. There's the games with the rules that is played today and the game that where the rules are going to be. So if you're going to you know try to skate to where the puck is going, you have to kind of skate to where the rules of the game are going to be to win in the future. And that's what I think about luck in, in terms of strategy, like trying to pick up areas where luck is more likely to happen just because you're just kind of in the right neighborhood. Sorry, that was a whole rant. It is a long thesis. That's perfect. It. Yeah. I'll give my example. So like I, I kind of pushed back on you initially, which I don't know if I get annoying doing this to people, but like, I think it's so important to change the way that you like talk about yourself. And that was one of the things that I was like, you're more than capable of doing video. If that became like you had plenty of time and priority and you'd been doing it for several years, that being the big difference. But like, I consider myself to be really lucky to have started my career out at Microsoft, like coming out of college, I started to work at one of the top tech companies in the world. And so that's like one kind of simplistic perspective of I was lucky. But then if you backtrack, it's like, okay, well, they were particularly interested in me for a couple of different reasons. I had not gotten, I got turned down for two different roles. And then in the interviews for the second role, I talked about my social, like my personality and my social stuff and enjoying being around people, which then led them to say like, maybe he'd be a good fit for this technical evangelist role. So in some ways, like I'm lucky to have even heard of this role or get an interview for this role, but it's based on doing well in this previous interviews and something specific I said that is personal to me, which is my interest in people. And then in those interviews, I talked about this Harry Potter trivia app that I built in college. And that came from me just being interested in mobile development and then tying it to something that I was also interested in. And so I built that app. And that's what I ended up talking about in like 90% of my interviews with Microsoft. And I look back and I consider myself to be lucky to have started my career off at Microsoft. But that opportunity came from different things that I had done, even if I hadn't done them intentionally with the idea of getting a job at Microsoft. They're still based on things that I had done in my life that like earned me the opportunity for the interview and then earned me the opportunity for an offer. So I think you can like almost always find like if you keep going back far enough, what seems to be luck is you probably did something to influence that surface area a lot of times to increase the potential for quote unquote luck. Yeah, totally. So it's always a combination of luck and skill, which is why when I listen to how I built this from, from Guy Raz, he's always like, how much of your thing is uh, attributable to skill and how much is it to hard work? And it's always 50-50. You, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ali Abdal talks about, I think there's a book called The Unfair Advantage, but talking I'm, I'm about those pieces that are kind of unfair. I think that's the privilege piece that you were talking about, like recognizing what your privilege is but how do you maximize that and then increasing your surface area that it's not just about the privilege, but about all these other pieces. Totally. Cool. Last section we have is just an opportunity for you to give any shout outs to any relevant communities or just shout outs for yourself as well. If you have other things that you want to share. Shout outs to relevant communities. Well, so the people I do like to see when people who write books don't do it as a one-off they continue on and, and engage with their audience and actually care that they have some sort of outcome so i do have a side project which is the book community where i'm in the discord every day talking with my readers and i can see them shipping on the side so i think i recommend you find some community wherever that is there was a writing for developers community that's kind of no longer active by uh, will larson from com.com but maybe check out monica lent who has mm -hmm. blogging for devs. That's that's a community that I think is active. I'm not sure like if you can still sign up for it, 
But there's there's all these communities. It doesn't really matter how big the community is. It just matters that you have a peer group that you actually engage in and you give feedback to each other. That's about it. You know, it's like a mini mastermind for creators. And I think that's helpful as well to, to know that you're not alone in doing this because you see other examples of people that are kind of in the same stage as you. And I think that's really great. And just know, like, I think you need some early wins. You, you want to do you want to do something where it starts to have benefit immediately, but ultimately, like, your goal is something that you that you want to do in the long run. Where right now, I'm at a stage where I just know that if I keep doing this, good things will happen to me. But I don't know what they are, and I don't know in, in what time frame. It doesn't matter because I've already benefited enough that I can uh, I can just keep investing in it with the blind faith. But it takes a while to develop that blind faith. So try to reach there. I don't know why this is, has gone into a rant, but like, yeah, other other things to recommend. I don't know, Twitter, I guess. Twitter's, Twitter's really good, actually, for encouraging each other. I think it's a, it's a very positive reinforcing loop that helps. And if I, okay, one last thing, which is to pick up what others put down, which is another way I often talk about this, which is like, people are most interested in themselves. And if you respond to the work of others, they're more likely to read it and respond back to you. And that is the most important thing for you to continue on in your creation journey, which is feedback, 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 feedback. Um, and the way to guarantee feedback is to give feedback. So recommend doing that. I love it. And for context, there was one that you actually submitted with the calendar invite, which was uh, the coding career Twitter handle. I, I did that. Okay. I think so. It's in our notes. It's in the invite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my reading. I, I, right, Amy? <laughs> I forgot that we were looking, supposed to be looking at notes. I, I've been looking at notes this entire time. Oh, we not don't you. Have no, any just, notes. This is our behind the scenes stuff. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that we've got a link to that one in the chat and we'll include it in the show notes as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean, thanks for hanging out with us. I really enjoyed our one-on-one conversation a few months ago or however long it was. This has been a ton of fun too to have us three just talk about uh, content creation, what we think is important, how to get started, all the things is yeah. stuff I get really inspired about every time. I, I want to find my Amy. What, Amy, how do I find how do I find my Amy? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, because like you make each other you make each other better, right? You know, right? And I think du- duos do really good. Like basically, like don't do this alone, right? And yeah. if you have someone to hold you accountable and, and also encourage yeah. you, like you you do more than you would by yourself. That's a good so. piece of advice. Find your Amy. <laughs> That's so find your Amy. There's, there's not well, many out there. <laughs> it, I mean, it goes both ways. It's like find your James. We were talking about before the show conferences that James was going to go to. <laughs> I was like, what conferences are you going to? So maybe I can tag <laughs> along and just be in the background. But um, I think it is a good mutual relationship yeah. that we both benefit from. It is conference season coming up. Very good place for networking. I, I've met so many of my industry friends from there. It's, uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, in person is back. COVID is over, at, at least in, in part. And it's good. Ish, yeah. Oh, don't, you don't <laughs> find Amy, she finds you. That's true. Yeah. I did save the original Twitter message. <laughs> yeah. I'm planning on yeah. tweeting at some point. This is how it started. Uh, <laughs> this which, is how it's going. Where you reach out to me. Is that yeah. what you mean? Really? Yeah. That's funny. It was way back when. Yeah, I'm a year ago. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, and I've had a lot of fun. And congrats on yeah, you know your consistency so far. I, I'm a loyal listener as well. We appreciate it. Yeah, and we are super excited that you joined us. In the meantime, that's all we got.